as entrepreneurs redefine our understanding of what it means to be a visionary. Mm. And perhaps when it's all said and done, the most important of visionary aspect or dimension of visionary leadership is what you can envision for others. Mm. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela. Today, I have my brother from another mother, Danny Craig, in the house. Danny, a repeat guest. You always here. introduce me that way. How many brothers from another mother do you have? I'm not frequently introducing guests that way. I'll be Repeat guest. You've been on the show a number of times. Always game to jam with you. As usual, you and I are sitting here having the most conversation before we start filming. Yes. You wrote me in, you're like, well, before we talk, get on, we should just talk. And uh, let's uh, let's start off where, where we left off yeah. there. We were having this interesting dialogue about the intersection between process, systems, efficiency, DLER stuff we've talked about many times, and cultural investment what type of entity are you building what are you trying to create that's bigger than just the money piece i love that i can have this conversation with you because it's heartfelt for both of us on both sides mm -hmm. of that equation mm -hmm. business is not the most important thing mm -hmm. in my life mm -hmm. i know that about you as well and i want to be able to i want to be able to talk about the money man yeah the finances stuff matters mm -hmm. we've seen how impactful it's been in people's lives, but there's an opportunity to marry these conversations. That's a big leap. This is a new, interesting, emerging conversation, but one worth having. Give me where your mind goes um, when we, we talk about intersecting these these things. I think that the trouble with the money conversation is that we're using money as a lens for clarity. That's why the financial conversation is so important is because people need clarity. They need clarity in order to make commitments and in order to affect change. Okay. That's our coaching model at Profit Coach. Three C's, clarity, commitment, and change. Amen. And think of it in terms of the analogy of a set of glasses. Finances is a lens by which you can actually engage reality with clarity, okay? Entrepreneurs are plagued by many things, but perhaps one of the most significant and detrimental is what we call financial fog. Mm -hmm. Finances is a lens through which you can eliminate financial fog and get clear on reality. Why is that important? Because only once you're clear on reality can you begin to see... Mm -hmm what kind of commitments you need to make in order to affect the kind of change that's important to you relative to your goals. Does that make sense as a, as a framework? Yes, and I, I just wanna mention a phrase that's becoming common for me now is location versus augmentation. Hmm. Augmentation is change, making things better. It's like our natural impulse. Location is just where are we? Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly underrated. People wanna go to change, mm -hmm. 
a lot less interest in just if we change nothing, what's the baseline? Right. That can feel like a hassle, but yeah. you're, you're highlighting how much value there is in just understanding the baseline. Think about the value of a GPS and the value of Google Maps for finding a restaurant without knowing where you are. Zero. Zero. Okay. So that's the, fu that's the function and the value of clarity. Okay. But what happens and in the, in the, the detriment around this conversation is when people associate finance and, 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 and perhaps profitability um, as the ultimate value. Mm -hmm. Okay. The why. As the why. All right. Does that make sense? So there, we're distinguishing the lens from the destination that we're trying to perceive through the lens. Right. And so I think the question then obviously is, well, what is the destination? And even though we're named Profit Coach, and I've devoted the last six years of my life to understanding the mechanics of financial performance in this industry, I actually don't believe that profit is the why. So what is the why? Can I take you on a, a journey of my entrepreneurial experience? Please walk me through it. I am uh, a Christian and my high level why is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And there's, you know, different people have understanding of what that means. And for me, I had an understanding of nonprofit, community work, um, investing in people, in a way that's fairly disconnected from business and the purpose of business in my mind as I got into entrepreneurship was to be able to create a passive residual income that would sort of exist in a very clean box and this cash would get kicked off into another box where all the meaning happens. Where all the meaning happens. Okay. <laughs> this piece sound familiar? <laughs> And whether or not it's a nonprofit box or it's the desert island experience as the sort of world in which meaning that container meaning that meaning container, I think a lot of entrepreneurs divorce the business box from the meaning mm. box, mm. and yes. the only connection between those is passive income. Okay, so, I, see, I thought we were going to come in here and talk about money, but this this <laughs> this is what I really wanted to talk about. Yes, and so. Um, the problem is uh, that those two boxes don't just like flow really nicely one from one to the other. Right. And that's my experience. And, and, and maybe I'm just a really bad entrepreneur and I, and I am. Um, but I've sort of heard this same thing from other entrepreneurs is that, um, you know, free cash flow just doesn't kick off in a really natural and easy way for most entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And so as I engaged, my entrepreneurial experience, we set the BAG and we set out to make these, you know, a massive achievements of revenue and ultimately profitability. It didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. And I'm not saying they didn't gain any entrepreneurial freedom from the experience, but to be honest, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Yeah. You know, if someone asks you how's business, just respond, it's unbelievable. You I got that from someone else. Here this week, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> it defies belief. It defies belief. Okay, and so the good news is that I was starting to reshape my understanding of meaning, mm. and meaning was going from just being contained in this nonprofit separate box 
and it was actually starting to enter the world of business. And God way, forbid. Yeah. And the way that was occurring is I realized even if I'm not getting all this free cash flow, and even if I'm not experiencing the freedom of time to do all these other amazing things, I'm changing. Mm. I'm becoming a new person. And it's brutal. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I just want to like connect to the emotion of the people who are experiencing mm -hmm. difficulty and challenge in business. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to be really disenfranchised if your only payout is free cash flow on a desert island. Mm -hmm. But let me just point out, how are you changing as an entrepreneur? What are you becoming as you embrace the struggle and the difficulty of what God is doing in your life through these challenges? Are you becoming something new? Are you becoming more than you thought you could be? Mm. That's yeah. meaning 2.0 for me. Mm -hmm. Are you open? Are you willing yeah. to that possibility? Yeah. If, you're, if it's not happening right now, yeah. if your experience has been that that doesn't seem like that's what this is about because I've been doing this for a while and I haven't gotten that. Would you be willing to yes. open to the possibility yeah. that it could be something different? It could be. That was Mini 2.0. And then as we started to continue to grow and build our team, um, we started to experience you know, all of the challenges that come along with trying to scale a business, which is... Let's just be honest. Value is created through human beings. Mm. Okay. Fundamentally. And this is where I, you know, will draw a hard line with where I think a lot of people are going with artificial intelligence. I have a fundamental presuppositional belief around value. And that is that machines don't create value. Humans create value, period. It's people made in the image of God who are creative, who make the machines, by the way, that create value. Value will always come back to humans and the resources that they work off of. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's God gave Adam and Eve uh, a set of resources. They said, be fruitful and multiply. The whole premise around value creation is a human being made in the image of God who takes the resources, all of, you know, whatever's on Google, and humans create machines that amass all of that and create more value, Okay. So even artificial intelligence comes back to humans, okay? It's humans. Humans create value, all right? So humans, they, got it, clear. Human. Hang with me on this. Okay. So if I have a business made of humans, I have a business made of value creators. And my ability to create value in my business is going to be directly tied to my ability to enable the humans in my team to expand their value creation abilities. And what I realized was there was meaning 3.0 for me. And that is helping people become and achieve more than they thought possible, create more value in a way that's good for them, it's good for the business, mm. it's good for the clients we serve. Mm. So that's my journey with mm. business. It's my journey with meaning. And I'm not saying that that's everybody's why but actually i kind of do believe that because we are humans um made mm. by god that crave connection at our core that 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 connection with other human beings and helping them become an achieve mm -hmm. has to be very near the center of everyone's meaning mm -hmm. and purpose in life mm. yeah life and civilization has been happening for some time now yeah 
before property management, before startups, yeah, the way people organize, the way they, what the, the meaning and significance yeah. that they look for, all the raw elements are there in business. If you're willing to look, if you're willing to be open to what, you know, what's the danger, the threat there, Danny? If I think through, I, I find myself always drawn towards what's the opposing story. Let's talk through some of those. Here's one that comes to mind. Danny, what if these people turn on me? What if I get to know them? I open my heart. I get close with my staff members and, and you know, somebody betrays me. Somebody knifes me in, in the back. What, what then? That would be really rough. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but bad things do happen in this world. And that's why we need more humans caring about other humans and helping them become and achieve more than they thought possible. What are you going to respond to the evil in the world with saying, I'm going to, I'm just going to like ignore it and I'm going to try to get away isolate. from I'm going to try to isolate, go have a nice life. So the juice is worth the squeeze. The only, risk. The only response, the only response to the evil you just described is good invested in the lives of people. The, the risk of failure is worth the vision if the vision is clear enough yeah, well, compelling enough that and it's like that's a problem you just gave me with a problem you just gave me a problem the only solution to that problem is investing in people mm -hmm. not getting away from them mm -hmm. mm. i've heard jeremy our mutual friend say before um i think the expression is something like you know i could invest in these people but then they could leave and the retort is well what if you don't invest and they stay. Yeah, exactly. And then you're stuck with uh, C players. You're stuck with C players in this self-fulfilling loop. Yeah. And I love the dealer's choice. You get to be right either way. Yeah. You know, if you say, my people are terrible, people in general are just difficult. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. If you're telling your people that they're terrible. That's a self- And that's what you're thinking. self-fulfilling prophecy. What are the odds they're showing up that way? Self-fulfilling prophecy. And if you're doing the exact opposite and you're just saying, how many people are great? I love these people. I want to yeah. be with these people. I want to invest in yeah. these people. I want to know what's going on in their lives. That's probably true for you. It's the back to the, you know, fundamental question of are you approaching life with an abundance or scarcity mindset? Mm -hmm. Are you mm -hmm. approaching every day with gratitude? You'll maximize what you're grateful for, mm. okay? You you show up to work and you're grateful for your tenants, your owners, and your employees. Uh huh? What are you going to do? Grow them. If you don't like them, you're going to shrink them. Well, try that as a growth strategy. You know, so so whatever you appreciate, you grow. Mm. If you appreciate your owners, mm. you grow. If you appreciate your tenants, you grow. If you appreciate your people, you grow. Now, why I love having this conversation with you is the backdrop. Some, hear the, some people hear this conversation and it feels... Like an Oprah Winfrey special yeah, yeah, yeah. for something yeah, soft. Fact, we had a client tell us recently, like, you know, I just need a dashboard. I don't need <laughs> your, like, <laughs> monthly webinars that have touchy-feely content that doesn't make me money. It's just about the dollars. Yeah. You know, talking to Scrooge McDuck over there. So because of that backdrop, this was a really comfortable, safe conversation because th this is too many guys right here. Yeah. Like, we've been around. We've, we've looked at the money piece yeah. from about as many angles as you could possibly look and the conclusion is that this stuff matters yeah. and this stuff is primary. Yeah. Let's take it down to the ground a bit. Profit Coach published some recent pricing study information that was had a bunch of fascinating insights. I want to get into that a bit. 
I want to talk about connecting this conversation to the DLAR piece. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, part of my experience, Danny, I don't know if this is the same for you. There have been moments where I've thought, hey, you know what? I see a place where I've impacted the industry. I'm proud of that. But you also see ripples. And some of those ripples, I stare at sideways a bit. Um, and one of those is the way that the conversation has evolved around fee maxing, revenue, pricing. I feel like we've contributed to that conversation. And I'm really proud because I have such deep conviction. If you're not making any money in this business, you should either fix that or stop doing it. Mm-hmm. There's too much risk, too much downside to be not be just be running at break even in this business. That's a conversation that was worth pushing on. Downstream though, when you get into all the fee maxing, revenue optimization, some of the um, some of the heart can be lost in that yeah. conversation. Yeah. Not to say that it should just be driven, but some of the humanity at times isn't always counterbalanced. And that's to me, the kind of the full circle connection. So talk me through how this culture conversation relates to DLER, mm-hmm. you know, practical bottom line driven outcomes. Yeah. It's actually really simple. It's all rooted in a fundamental concept of stewardship. I have these resources and how do I maximize those in the long run? Okay. And the long run piece of this is really critical. Okay. Because I think the challenge here is I've, well, I believe, you know, like I said earlier, we're made by God to take the take a little bit and make a lot out of it. Okay. But you have to have some long-term thinking. All right. And so I would invoke the principle of lifetime value as the framework that we need to be thinking mm-hmm. about this in. Okay. And when you think about value, what is value? I don't know that I have a definition of what value is. I know where I believe value comes from. And I think humans create value. How is it measured? Value is pretty easy to measure. It's what people will pay you over the lifetime. That's it. That's my conviction at this point, okay? But the lifetime piece is important because just because you can get a dollar or $10 from an owner today, are you thinking about that in the framework of the lifetime of that owner? Um, or, Or here's, let me put another expansion on that definition it's the lifetime of the value of that client and all the people that they refer to you okay mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. and then and the, certainly borrowing from our mutual mentor steve Riddell. amen okay amen as we were t- that was the point of the relationship yeah. By the way. yeah 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 and so and so that's you gotta have a long-term value creation perspective mm-hmm in order to really win at this game. Yes. It's not just in the short term, how much mm-hmm. can I charge? Mm-hmm. It's in the long term, how much value can I create mm-hmm. in such a mind-blowing way for this owner that he goes and tells the world. Mm-hmm. So to put a, to kind of summarize all of that, um, I think we lose the heart when we are not thinking in a long-term mind and we're not thinking about who we're serving and who we're creating value for. Um, and certainly, the resonant is part of that picture as well. Absolutely. Um, and so I would I would bring both the owner and, and the resident into into the conversation. But it's a lifetime 
value perspective. Yes. yes. Not just tied to them individually, but the people that they influence. And this is encapsulated in our mutual belief that that the ability to extract is derivative of the ability to create value. Yeah. So, so as we talk about customer lifetime value, we're talking about increasing the net amount of value that you're able to put into the market yeah. and only taking back a fraction of that. Yeah. Now, here's the here's where the employee component comes in. Okay. This is awesome. And this just came out of a conversation I had with your uh, one of your team members in the last hour. And that is, how do you maximize value over the long term for your owners, your tenants, and all the people that they talk to? It's through your team. And only if you are helping your people become and achieve more, more than they thought possible will you be able to maximize value for your owners and tenants over their lifetime mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. of the people mm-hmm. that they influence? Mm-hmm. Now, let's inter- intersect with something personal for me. We were just talking about the connection between this and process. Yeah. And you made this really interesting point. I want to be I want to be open and playful with it, but you said something to the extent that in many cases people are using process technology the system stuff um as a as a workaround as an as an alternative to investing in their people mm-hmm. let's talk about that i feel a little resistance but i also think i get where you're coming from and obviously you're being prescriptive not descriptive tell me more about what you were thinking there the question is do you want more value from your people or less. Okay. I think the obvious answer to that question is you want your people to create more value. The problem with the, because if, if your people create more value individually, then who's, what's going to happen to your business and your overcomes and more valuable in aggregate? Everybody gets more value. Okay. The problem with the common orientation around process is a focus on minimization of the human component instead of a maximization Mm. of the human component. Technology becomes powerful when you enable human beings to create more. That's the point of technology. The point of technology is not- To minimize, but to to maximize. To get rid of the human component. Amen. It's to redirect it towards- Redirect it. Towards maximum impact. Exactly, and that's why, you know, that's what the Industrial Revolution did. And it allowed humans to create more value. You've got one guy driving a tractor, plowing an entire field. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to get rid of the guy, ultimately. You know, and again, that back to this AI piece, like this isn't about getting rid of humans. This is about redirecting human capability mm-hmm. to actually- Highest and best use. Highest and best use. Mm-hmm. And so in the, in the PM context, I'm a little hesitant to share this because it's... <laughs> no, let's go, let's go, let's go. In, in the PM context, I actually think maybe I've been misguiding the industry a little bit relative to my general take on labor efficiency. Mm. Okay. I still think labor efficiency is incredibly important. Amen. And it always will be. And it will always. Just, if you get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, it, it would just be worth saying up front... DLER was a massively impactful conversation in the industry, and it was a gift to me and you to have gotten it from Greg Crabtree. That was a huge gift to me. Yes. And 
what does a mentor want you to do to like build on top of what was to... right. right yeah so yeah, we're, yeah. we're standing on the on the shoulders of some pretty yeah. smart people here and yet there's room yeah. for yeah, yeah there's evolution perfect the common thinking around labor efficiency is twofold one uh, there's obviously you know increased revenue and 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 really decrease costs. We call it the three P's of LAR, which is pricing, pay, and productivity. Okay, and that's all. That's that's all functionally true and, and works. It's what you do with it, really, that that I think matters. And a lot of the conversation has to do with you know you can get your revenue per unit up by charging for things that you are that you're delivering already and aren't charging for. Okay, that's good. I, I agree with doing that. Maybe you can add on some services, although I'm not totally sure in the minds of the average PM entrepreneur when they're adding services, if they're really doing it because they're really focused on the value that that service has created or if they're doing it because they're wanting to justify a fee. And honestly, I don't think that's unethical, but I think it's limited, okay? Um, as long as you're providing an overall value mm -hmm. to your clients. So you got the revenue per unit side of things. Then you've got the um, productivity side of things, okay? And and the orientation around the productivity side of things, Lead Simple is a huge part of this conversation, and, and I love what you guys are doing, so this isn't to take any way, thing away from that. But the orientation around that generally is how can we leverage technology to allow lower paid people to do more right okay and and that brings us to the last p which is pay and that's why the rage around um and i won't use the word va and i won't use the word rtm i'll use the word global team mm -hmm. okay that's the general orientation and it's really focused ultimately on minimizing cost at, at, at the end of the day we talk about creating more value that's a passing comment at the end of the day the the general orientation around LER is cost minimization mm -hmm. the aha that I'm working through in my own thinking right now is that we will see the true expansion of LER when we switch from cost minimization to thinking about how do we leverage technology and how do we invest in our people in a way that truly unlocks their value creation mm -hmm. potential in worlds of owner experience and value that we're not even thinking about today. We, we, we talk about leases and lease renewals and maybe some ancillary services, some protection packages, some amenities packages. That's kind of the sum total of the value creation. And and maybe we get into like investment performance and, you know, real re ROI dashboards and, and all of that's good and, and it is valuable. But how do we deploy the human to create new levels of value? What what's 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 the new world of value for the owner out there? I don't know the answer to this question, but I think mm -hmm. if the conversation goes from cost minimization to a true value creation orientation yes. in new world right. of value, that's where LER gets. And the point is that you don't have to know. If you've empowered your people and you've shared a compelling enough vision, yeah. you can tolerate 
the not knowing and the inquiry, knowing that other people around you can figure out the answers. Yeah. But it's an orientation yes. shift. And and it's it's a question of where is the experimentation focused? To me, the experimentation focused right now is generally speaking around cost minimization. Mm-hmm. Zapier, automation, global team members. It's all cost minimization to a large extent. I'm not saying there's nobody thinking about uh, about this from a value yeah, perspective. And you're not criti- let's be clear, you're not criticizing the tools. The point is that they are just tools and the spirit with which you approach it, right. the intention that you use to approach it really impacts the outcome. And and, th- and those are all good activities. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah those are those are valuable things. 100%. No caveat. No caveat. Those are valuable things. But the value will be unlocked when oh, the focus- Fully, fully unlocked. Fully unlocked when the focus of experimentation- Yes. Is on value creation. When we look at that global team member, and instead of the primary driver being that they, outward, that they were offshore saying, I'm all in with this person. I'm fully invested in the development of that global- team member in a tertiary market that I might never meet in person, mm-hmm. I'm really invested. Yes. That's an exciting future to me. And the leverage that can come from that. <laughs> wow. Yes. Wow. So I think the question is, well, where do you go from here? You know what? I don't have the answers to what the new value opportunities are, but I know where the answers are going to come from. Mm-hmm. Or not how people mm-hmm. your people mm-hmm. and mm. so the next step in this whole process is helping your people mm-hmm. become and achieve more than they people. thought possible <laughs> that's a new that's a new uh podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love it and it's an exciting frontier I shared with you that I'm just on the heels of having a full week with my team mm-hmm. in Austin. Everybody came globally and I'm getting clear on my own uh, my own skills and vision for being a visionary. Yeah. I think I told you that I've struggled in the past to get myself up to the gobbledygook talk around we're disrupting and prop tech and 10,000 million units. So that I don't see value in presentation and the pitch. It's just that there is a hard limit for how much I care about money and commercial outcomes. It's not going to, that's, I run out of juice for that. Well, not just you, Jordan. This is actually a challenge that we're facing with our client base and we have helped them to become more profitable. And we weren't promising, you know, that yeah. it would solve right. problems. Right. They promised themselves that mm-hmm. and it hasn't <laughs> solved yeah, you told them about the existential crisis on the yeah. other side of the profits. Yes. All right. That's a whole nother segment in show. But yes, I absolutely hear what you're saying. I love that. For me, what's anchoring, the infinite game that I'm identifying, that's the exact yeah. segment they're talking about, the infinite game that I can play forever without needing to keep score or needing to win or having a destination, but I get value just because I'm getting to play is the people game. And the the personal expansion game of reinventing myself, mm-hmm. oof, if I'm, you know, if I have ego, if I have a sense of high worth that's in this area that I can go through that cycle of transformation and growth over and over and yeah. over again and keep impacting the people around me. Mm-hmm. So wanting that for myself, being open to that for myself and for my team members, that's an, that's a truly infinite game. 
And I cannot fathom how anybody could think that that would not have profound commercial implications in your business. Yeah, and, and, and I would just tie what you just said to the fact that people understand the people game. But what's interesting to me is if you interview a lot of entrepreneurs in this industry, what drives you to do what you do? Probably the most common response that you'll get is your family. Mm -hmm. And I applaud that. I think that's really great. Same. But I do think that it does speak to the fact that perhaps we haven't sufficiently brought our team members and our employees into some level of uh, embrace them. Yes. Not to the same degree as our family, but brought, brought them into the family in, in a sense. Mm -hmm. And we've limited our own potential because we're just thinking about the human element mm -hmm. as it relates to yes. my ability to separate myself and my cash and pull my cash out of my business. Into the other bucket. So into the other, exactly. Now we're back to the two buckets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all good. Uh, but I don't think that, I do think that's limiting because your ability uh, to create values is, is not just in your own family. I think that's the most important. Yeah. But your team is a huge part of what you have been given yeah, and yeah. trusted with as yeah. a resource that you're responsible to steward, mm. I believe, mm. before God. Mm. And your ability to steward that resource mm. inside your business is going to, in large measure, define how much value you create that you can even give to your family. Mm -hmm. mm. New, new, uh, new slogan. One bucket. One bucket. <laughs> One bucket. Oh, oh. Yeah. Invented here. Yeah. It's weird conversation to be in, man. I got to tell you. It's like, it's, uh, I don't know. It's like almost a little touchy, <laughs> but, but I'm experiencing it. And that's what I was saying before. I'm clearer than ever on what my vision is and like yeah. how I'm going to be a visionary. And so I, it's something that's really felt for both of us, I think. And I'm really, I'm really okay and comfortable with that. It's but, not a, it's not a lecture for other people. I'm talking about what it's produced in my life and sharing like the joy and the, the dramatically improved performance that's coming from this. So it's definitely not a lecture or something to moralize about, but it's definitely a, you know, it's something like when you experience it that you want to share with other yeah. people. Yeah. And maybe we need to, uh, as entrepreneurs, redefine our understanding of what it means to be a visionary. Mm. And perhaps when it's all said and done, the most important of visionary aspect or dimension of visionary leadership is what you can envision for others. Mm. I don't do that very well, to be honest. You know, when the rubber meets the road and, you know, I've got a team member mm. uh, that draws the boat. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you're in the moment. And I'm in the moment. It's like, how could you do this? And uh, immediately scarcity mindset. I'm not thinking, oh, this is a great opportunity to help this Mentorship. person help this person become and achieve more than they thought. Yeah. Possible. Yeah. Immediately you're here and you're not performing up to here. Transactional. Very transactional. I'm not thinking about, wow, yes, yeah. is interesting and an uh, interesting experience to bring clarity as to where you are today so that I can better set a destination yeah. or an envision a future yeah. for you. Not thinking that way and, most of the time. And yet I know at least a subset of the time you are because I get to see it. Yeah. And that is just enough. Like, man, if I can get in that frame of mind just a bit more and a bit more and a bit more and, and 
upskill that muscle. That's yeah. the that's the journey I'm interested in yeah. going down. Yeah. Uh, let's let's just like be really honest. I'm a hypocrite with regard to what I'm saying. More yeah. times yeah. than I am not. Yeah. But I'm growing. And that but that's the risk though. Yeah. You're risking hypocrisy. Yeah. By putting yourself out there and talking about this stuff, you're, you're actually going to publish this. <laughs> There's a risk that you'll be found out, and and that's a I'm okay. That's a risk worth taking for me. And hopefully, I surround myself with people who will call me out on it and who will tell you, "Hey, didn't weren't you the guy yeah. that said the thing on the yeah. TV?" Exactly. Yes, I was. We we were here yeah. live doing it. Yeah, but you know what it gives me encouragement is that you know I I, I cannot just pull my pull this out of myself. I I, I truly believe that I need other people around me to help me grow back to team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not just about what I put into my people. It's, oh, what, yeah. it's what my team is putting into me. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, ultimately Ooh. I have God's help mm -hmm. to I mean, become another person. Mm. Boy, that, that picture you painted really just caught me thinking about folks who are working and grinding and they're not receiving that investment yeah. back in. It's yeah. life-giving for yeah. me. It really gives me a lot of that, yeah. the edge. I wouldn't be here if it was, if I wasn't going to get access to that. Danny, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about money yeah. and numbers and yeah. pricing, at least just a little bit. <laughs> uh, we got to, we got to go in that. And, and man, there is some materially exciting stuff to talk yes. about. Some yeah, new, some new data. Yeah, uh, some new data that is a departure from where we've been in the past. Yeah, in our internal conversation, we've been pretty clear-headed about the fact that we were not interested in surveys. Yeah, because of the inaccuracy, we self-reported data. Self-reported data. We exerted thousands of efforts, mm -hmm. of hours of effort, doing it the hard way. Mm -hmm. That's how much conviction we had. Yeah, and now here we are doing a self-reported data survey. <laughs> Let's do it there. Tell me about that. Because we're all Africans. No. Um, all right. So uh, self-reported data versus not. Yep. Um, ultimately, why do you do data? You're trying to get clear. Okay. So back to the clarity thing we we're talking about. The problem with self-reported data is you're getting data from people who aren't typically clear on their own numbers. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And and then I'll put my, you know, I'll put myself in that. Yeah. Like you ask me what my numbers are. And I'd be like, talk to my CFO, you know, or go, go into my QuickBooks file. All right. You know, it's just a challenge for us mm -hmm. to maintain that clarity. Um, on numbers that are always changing, okay? And so when we do financial performance, data analysis and aggregation, we're going directly to the system of record because people don't really memorize these things on an ongoing basis. They're always changing, right? The exception to that is people can memorize things that aren't always changing. Mm -hmm. And so there's a very limited subset of data where self-reported information is actually fairly reliable. They have a high likelihood of knowing. Is high likelihood of knowing is where it's not changing or it's readily available, such that if you were asking them to survey, they would go to the source of truth and immediately pull it out. Mm. Most and, and 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 so what 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 kind of things would fall into that category? Um, well, not very many things, but I'll just go straight to one thing that's very valuable that does fall into that category is what you charge your clients. Okay. When we think about the whole world of financial performance and how to maximize profitability, I've told people for years that labor efficiency is my desert island metric. I still believe that because that's the thing that correlates most closely to profitability. But in terms of the most dynamic lever for financial performance in your business, in order to improve profitability, the most dynamic lever in terms of what makes change the fastest is pricing. Mm 
Mm. Okay. The problem is that in our industry, we actually don't have a lot of pricing information readily available to us. We have anecdotal conversations. We generally know the range of management fees, but when in a world where, you know, decreasing amounts of revenue come from the management fee, knowing that the world charges somewhere between eight and 10% of average rent is not very useful because we all know that. What we want to know is, especially in a world where unbundled pricing seems to be, generally speaking, driving higher revenue per unit, mm -hmm. um, we want to know what is possible in the world of ancillary add-on mm -hmm. revenue streams, okay? And so tying this all together, pricing is the most dynamic lever. We measure that in terms of revenue per unit. How do you maximize revenue per unit? Generally speaking, there's two categories, management fees and other fees. Um, you can go increase management fees, do it, knock yourself out. Okay, that's that's a limited, has limited interest. Generally speaking, the opportunity around expanding revenue per unit comes with ancillary fees. Mm -hmm. And that's where the black box is. Mm -hmm. In terms of well-documented information mm -hmm. around pricing. And so what we just did was completed the 2023 National PM Pricing Report, mm. which was based off of a survey in which we went and sourced what we have documented to be or analyzed to be some of the, the most revenue producing revenue streams. Okay. And we identified about 29. There's others, but you know, these are some of the most significant ones. And I hope that list becomes obsolete very quickly, by the way, relative to the conversation we were just having 20 minutes ago around people thinking of new ways to create mm -hmm. value, mm -hmm. but we're measuring the ones that are somewhat widely most common, most common. And you can go ask owners, what do you charge for this? And they can tell you. 29 categories. Yeah. Great. That's nice coverage right yes. there. And so all of that to say, that's the world in which self-reported data is valuable. Now, immediately we come to an interesting question, which is, am I allowed to share this with mm. you? Ooh. And, and it, it's, it's pretty simple. Okay. Um, there's public and non-public information. Okay. You can talk about public information. What's the difference between non-public and public information. I'm not an expert on this. I'll tell you what my attorney told me. And it, the litmus, you know, a simple litmus test is public is what's on your website and non-public is what you have to sign an NDA or a contract to see. Okay. And so, um, you can talk about public information. Um, you do have to follow FTC, Federal Trade Commission guidelines around talking, uh, or sharing non-public information. Okay. And the answer to that is you got to follow their policies. I'm not going to go into what those policies are, but the question is who can that data be shared with and who can it be aggregated by? And the answer is that a third party aggregator who's not in a competitive relationship with the people who are reporting the data can survey and receive that data set, aggregate it and disseminate the aggregated form as long as they have at least five sources of data and not one of those sources represents one more than 25% of the data pool. Okay. So that's a basic understanding of what allows profit coach as a third party aggregator to amass this data and present to the industry aggregated forms of the data that don't allow you to figure out what Joe in your market's charging. Okay. You can't do that. Um, that would allow for price fixing and all of that, but we can legitimately provide to the industry information that says, Here's what's being charged on the range for each of these fees. 
And, you know, we can even benchmark it. And, you know, here's what the top 25% of performers are charging in terms of the most expensive pricing. And I'm not saying top as in what you should do. I'm just saying you can benchmark it. You can segre segregate it uh, as long as it's average and you can't identify individual contributors. And so that's what we've done. And the power of that is now we know it's possible. And we see the scatter plots and what people are doing and, um, you know, what, 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 what the potential is around that. And we have a much better data set now with over 200 contributors for making decisions around uh, the range of options that are before us when it comes to pricing. Now, there, there was so much unique and interesting stuff in this specific study, but I think the question I want to ask you is the work that we've done here versus the work in the first two benchmarking studies, how do you think about what was learned, what was discovered, and what value is was created in terms of like perspective in looking between those two different directional lenses on a very similar set of problems? Well, the purpose of the benchmark studies is first of all, to understand what's possible with regard to bottom line financial performance. Right. And then secondarily, to understand what the drivers of that financial performance are. And if we hadn't done that study, we wouldn't have known based on data, we, we would have known presuppositionally perhaps, but we wouldn't have known based on data that LER is the number one driver and that revenue per unit is the most dynamic profit lever. And so those studies lent credibility to the importance of revenue per unit right. as a disproportionate, uh, as having a disproportionate impact on profitability. Mm -hmm. And then the next question is, well, what should I charge? And how much should I charge in order to drive revenue per unit? And the answer to that and let me say this, this is really important. The answer to that has to be found in, uh, by you, answered by you in the context of and in alignment with your unique selling proposition, okay? So I would never advise anybody to go and pick a fee and charge it just because Joe is charging it down the street. And you have no belief or conviction. And, and it makes him money. And I'm not saying you have to have some like 10-page thesis on why this creates value. Sure. But you have to ask you to believe you need to believe is are we is there value associated to this mm -hmm. or the package mm -hmm. in which this finds mm -hmm. itself and, and and is this in alignment with our differentiators mm -hmm. okay and so that's that's the conversation that you have to answer i can't answer that for you but i can feed you information around creative ways to you know generate revenue and define uh value through pricing structures and let me say this too um, pricing is an important way of defining value, okay? Um, pricing, revenue doesn't just automatically flow where value is created. Pricing matters. Pricing strategy, pricing science, mm -hmm. pricing sophistication mm -hmm. is extremely important because it has a way of defining the value that people are willing to pay for. Mm. And so that's the problem with the limited mindset around, I don't want to just nickel and dime people and charge a bunch of fees. I just want to give them one price for everything that they do and they'll love it. I'm sorry. That's generally not how people think because they won't be able to necessarily associate value to all the different components of what you do. They may not want a subset. They may not want a subset. And so they're, you know, pricing is an important part of value communication okay and 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 value perception and value realization uh and so it, there's a lot of opportunity in terms of improving the sophistication around pricing thinking in our industry and let me just say this 
how do you how do you act on what I just said? I think it, what I would pause it here, and this is something that we're beginning to think more and more about how we facilitate at Profit Coach is you need a pricing process in your business, okay? Um, the analysis and the study and the research has been done uh, by a group called Price Intelligently. Uh, they do analysis and service for recurring revenue businesses and price consulting. They've actually consulted at Folio and I believe Bill DM on their pricing strategy. Um, but they did a study of recurring revenue businesses, which PM is, I don't know that PM was represented in the study, but PM is a recurring revenue business. And they were able to define that the ARP, the growth in ARPU or revenue per unit over time was directly correlated to the frequency at which companies reviewed or made changes to the pricing. Mm, mm, I believe that. And, and it was dramatic. Like, you know, uh, something like if you looked at your pricing once a year over a five-year period, oh, you, you had, oh. a, um, you know, a 10% improvement. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you looked at it quarterly, the people that looked or, or changed, made some kind of change to their pricing on a quarterly basis, uh, experienced a more than 100% increase in revenue per unit over a period of about four or five years. And this is purely a proxy for attention, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, Jordan, I think you um, conventionalized the word operationalize in our industry, right? Operationalizing sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm positing here it's time to operationalize pricing. pricing. You need a strategic pricing process in your business in which you're regularly coming back to the value conversation, a big picture value conversation. What is our differentiator? What are our clients? How do we create value for our clients? Um, and how do we expand, change, or tweak our services and our value delivery model in order to maximize value? And then how do we price according to that uh, to maximize the perception of value uh, relative to our clients? Wow. We're here we are ending a podcast when I feel like we need a round two, but uh, that was great. Danny, I just want to say in summary, I love working with you. I'm so glad that we're here and I'm just, I'm enjoying the energy of being on this multi-year journey with you. I appreciate what you're creating and what you're adding to this industry. It's a lot richer with you here, man. Well, thank you. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. A lot of that came uh, from you making that phone call or sending me that email and saying, hey, why don't you... Uh, Check out the PM. What do you think about property management? What do you think about property management? Yeah. All right, brother. Appreciate you. you. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.